Here we go. What you been waiting for? One song coming to you live from the studios of Sirius. This is one song in a building downtown. We're a family of two. There are people on the streets. That's okay. It's the terror of knowing what this podcast is about. We're just two friends. Watch us work it out. It's Diallo and, and Blake Robin, aka One Song with Luxury and Diallo. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> Perfection. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excellent work. Can I hear more scatting? Wrong song. For one song, not wrong song. How are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm good, Diallo Riddle. Ba, 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 ba. And how about you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm doing well. I'm really excited that we're doing Under Pressure. It's 2024. It's a leap year. It's an election year. Yeah. Uh, it seems like every single industry <laughs> on the planet is being wildly disrupted. Uh, a lot of people are under pressure. So much pressure in our daily lives on a planet in the country. It's just like inescapable. How many elections this year? Something like fifty in Europe alone. It's <laughs> not insane. enough. Yeah. Not enough. Not enough elections. Um, That's right. But this song, this song is a rock monster. Yeah, it is. It is a behemoth of a song. It was number one in three countries. The UK, Canada, and Holland. And while mm. it didn't hit number one in the US, it did go four times platinum. Yes, it's been ranked as one of the 500 greatest songs of all time by Rolling Stone magazine. If Rolling Stone magazine says it, must be I true. mean, that's the gospel. It's but true. it truly it truly has been cited as one of the greatest collaborations of all time. We're also going to talk about that bass line. That's right. This time on one song, it's Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. VIP. Let's kick it. I'm messing with you. Oh, you got me. I was, I was for a second. I was tricked. It is, of course, Queen and David Bowie under pressure. That's the one. Now, Lecture, this is an episode we've been so excited about for such a long such time. Such a long time, Because yeah. some of the vocal stems you have for this are, are spine tingling. They, are, they, they get are, underneath your skin. Every single moment is a spine tingler, if you will. Absolutely. We have the acapella vocals for not one, but two of the most legendary singers of all yeah. time, Freddie Mercury yes. and David Bowie. This is going to be such a special episode of the show because we always play some stems. We always talk yeah. about it. We have guests sometimes. This one is going to be just like the rest of the episodes, but it's a little bit more stem heavy, I would say, because there's so much gold within the mix. Yes. But there's also this extra added bonus, which is that I have a whole bunch of unused stuff. There's a lot. We'll, we'll, hear, we'll tell the there's story about it. Stuff that didn't it. make the mix. Stuff that didn't make the final cut. And part of the story of how the song got made will be illustrated by the fact that you'll be hearing stuff that as we discuss the crazy process of cutting and pasting different ideas together, you'll hear some of the unused ones. So I, it's very I, special I cannot for that wait. Reason. I mean, like to people who listen to the show, they know we met during the pandemic and you would play some of this stuff for me. And I was just like, oh my God, this is like, this is like a, a music nerd's dream come yeah. true to hear some of this stuff. Yeah. So I don't want to waste too much time in getting into it. Yeah, I mean, look, we're about to get into it. And just to sort of finish that story about like this show itself began a little bit with the friendship, plus I've got these stems. Should we tell the world about it? <laughs> so, this, I'm, we kind of save this for like this episode once we've figured out the show. 25 episodes in. If I haven't mentioned it already, you are listening to the 23rd best podcast on planet Earth, according to The Atlantic. So, we really know what we're doing, and today we're going to show you all of these incredible moments underneath the hood of this song you've heard many times before, but never quite this way. Okay, so before we dig into the stems, can you play us a little preview of the kind of stuff we'll be hearing? There's so many great moments. This was a really hard choice to make. This is maybe one of my favorite moments, but it's also super intense. So just be prepared for an intensity level that you may not have been prepared for until I told you to prepare. <laughs> We're not done yet. One more note. 
Isn't that insane? I mean, okay, so <laughs> I'm already at peak excitement. No, we listen, just got started. I was going to ask you specifically about that part because, okay. admittedly, in preparing for this episode, you can find the acapellas on, you know, some yeah, of the acapellas on YouTube. They're mm-hmm. out there, um, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have some varying levels. Do you want to tell real quick the people the difference between in the past we've said untreated vocals. Uh, naked vocals, raw vocals. We, we use a lot of X-rated terms to describe vocals on this show. <laughs> vocals get nasty on this show. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to tell us exactly what we have stem-wise here? Do we have the actual stems that they used in the recording? Well, there's here? both. What I just played for you is the final acapella as heard in the song with reverb added yeah. as it is in the mix. Yeah. But what I also, so that's what you heard just now. Mm-hmm. So when we say treated, it's treated, it's probably got EQ, it's got compression, it's definitely got reverb. Right. The, the word treated just means that there's effects or EQ or yeah, compression. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. things are done to the vocal to totally. juice it up or make it sound kind of but more that exciting. Note is insane. That note is insane. I mean, it goes on. It's an insane note to end, hit for a second. Yeah, but then at the end it goes higher. It goes higher. It goes higher. And then you got that crazy echo on love. I mean, there's so much good stuff. I mean, I'm excited because I love Queen. I love Queen. And and by the way, I love Queen, but you're like a next level Queen fan, right? (laughs) What what is it about them that you love so much? Queen is probably my first favorite band, maybe outside of the Beatles, who, because I grew up and they were in the environment as a child, doesn't really count. It's kind of like all babies love the Beatles, like at a certain point. It's just, they're in the air. It's one of those, for me, it was just in the air. But Queen was a band that was a discovery. And mm. once it was like in my life, I just I bought all the records, and I've that's that is probably the only band maybe outside of the Beatles where I've kind of heard every song, right? And um, their significance emerges over time. Like, why am I so attracted to this band? That's what a life is for. Like yeah. understanding, yeah. unpacking, peeling back the onion about like, oh my god, you know, it's not till later in life that you start to understand the kind of aspects of sexuality and the aspects of of uh, performance and the aspects of there's comedy. There's a lot of comedy in Freddie Mercury. And, yeah. and of course the musicianship as a drummer first and then picked up bass and guitar. Drummers. We're both Each drummers. Of the, and, all of the instruments in this band yeah. are peak level composition, performance, recording. There's so much to unpack with Queen that I would say that they're neck and neck with, with the Beatles for me as a favorite Yeah, band. and I would say that their music still matters. I mean, like, it's it's... It's it's one of those bands that's oddly been relevant, you know, before we were really listening to music and to this day, like my kids go around singing yes. another one bites the dust. Kids love and Queen, we right? It's one it. of those well, bands. I think it's, the, I think it's the, the the primacy, if you will, of the of the drums in creating these music. I mean, like yeah. We Will Rock You is one of the first right. songs that I remember this from day. the script. And by the way, I'm just gonna go on the record and admit it. The first time I heard under pressure it was after the first time i heard that bass line was definitely ice ice baby no absolutely i had never heard I've is this our nas heard. moment that we're having right now <laughs> you wish this is the nas this is the say, new york state of mind moment listen i mean oh, you're trying up, to rock right past it aren't you growing up no <laughs> I, I wish right i would love it. to know what i okay. don't know but no, that's so interesting that you didn't I'm hear until about, after it was used yes when, when when i was in vanilla school, ice's when i was in school reworking like, if you will when I was in school, we definitely heard Another One Bites the Dust. We definitely heard We Will Rock You. We Are the Champions was in a Revenge of the Nerds. Like, there were other Queen songs that we had exposure to. I'm not sure I had exposure to Under Pressure. Again, yeah, first time I heard uh, that bass, I was probably Nice Ice Baby. We're going to talk a little bit about that when we get to oh, samples we're gonna talk a lot and interpolations. We're going to talk a lot about but it. But we'll save that for now. But for right now, I'd love to set the scene, as we do on one song. We're scene What setters. is the historical context for the song? So, Under Pressure was recorded in 1981 it was um it was preceded i think the last single from queen before this was uh their song from i think without doubt the greatest space opera of the 1970s <laughs> everybody knows it it's of course flash gordon and the song is flash if you don't know flash gordon uh, you have to go back and listen to this flash! It's such a great incredible. song. The movie I have yet to see because it's. You've I'm never afraid. Seen the movie. I've never seen the movie, and I'm such a huge fan because I've I couldn't seen it because I had no I had access cable. to it when I was this when I was young. There was yeah. no way to see it, and actually, that's probably not true. I think what it was is that I knew it was terrible, <laughs> and it's I knew not terrible. it was the never the choice I wanted to make at the video store. Do you know what I mean? Like I want to see this, but not that bad, dude. Flash Gordon is an amazing campy film right. that to kids who were fortunate enough to watch it without. <laughs> 
without knowledge of where science fiction was going to go. I think it's a great movie. This, if this podcast were called One Film, yeah. I would say let's do a deep dive on Flash Gordon. Let's do, but that's something for another. Let's time. do that film. I think it's a great movie. Let's do a double feature with Spinal Tap, and that'd be like a perfect, perfect night. They're kind of from the same period, so yeah. that would be perfect. Yeah. But that's what Queen is up to. Mm-hmm. At the same time. Bowie has recently released Ashes to Ashes. Yeah, fashion. Which I think was like his number two, number one in the UK. And fashion is also like, so he's in. He's fashion, pe- by the way, is like my, one of my song. absolute favorites. He's playing with disco. He's playing with funk. Listen, I love that. But stuff. he spent like so much of the era. second half of the 70s. It's sort of like the forgotten Bowie yeah. here in America. The fact that like he's working with all these great soul musicians and he's right. coming up with Luther songs Vandross. like Right yep. and, and you mentioned Fashion and Fame, which yep. I think we'll probably cover on a future episode of this show. And speaking of fame... Collaboration. Bowie's in a very collaborative mood. Yeah. He works with John Lennon on fame. Uh, he's actually, I think, recording Cat People uh, at Mountain Studios. And he comes across the guys in the studios. Can you tell us how this collaboration yeah. comes about? Well, that's exactly right. So Queen has a studio that they own in Montreux, Switzerland. As one does. As one does. As one does. <laughs> this is in 1981. And they, they... I think if I had a studio in the Alps, <laughs> I'd probably just live there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, it's called Mountain Studios. I can just picture it in my mind. Oh, it looks like the place to can just go there? grow old and retire. Yeah. One and make music. live from Mountain Studios. Oh, my God. I would love that <laughs> so Alps. much. So it's, it is a studio. It's open to the public. Bowie yeah. is there. You're right. He, I think they hear through their mutual producer, who's Mac, Reinhold Mac, who also worked on this on the song Under Pressure that that Bowie's in the next in the studio next door oh, wow. recording yeah. the Cat People song for the Cat People Bowie movie. There's a Bowie super fan in Queen, isn't there? There, oh my God! When you think about the connection between the two, first of all, Freddie Mercury grew up in the glam era, in the Ziggy yeah. era. So Ziggy and Bowie, the representation of like a character on stage, basically yeah. a singer who's also a character and playing a part. When you think about that and and the glam with the fashion and just the outrageousness. Sure. Freddie Mercury springs to mind as being like an obvious child of this, yeah, of this, um, of this presentation that David Bowie. But has isn't going the on. drummer in Queen? I, I had heard he was actually the real super fan who, like, literally when he heard that Bowie was down the hall, like, reached out and was like, "Hey, man, you want to come?" Sit Roger in with Taylor, this? man, he's the secret sauce of Queen. He is the highest voice of Queen. If you ever hear a Queen high harmony stack and you're thinking, "Oh, that must be Freddie," that must be Freddie. It's Roger always at the top, <laughs> top, tippy to top, me. most note. <laughs> That's like finding out, like, you think it's you think Michael. The, but actually, Tito's the best dancer in the Jackson. When am I actually going to? I'll illustrate that. One of my favorite Queen records is called Sheer Heart Attack, but it doesn't actually contain the song Sheer Heart Attack. It has the song Killer Queen, and it has this moment at the beginning of the song as if to illustrate that they know how ridiculous Roger Taylor's voice is. That's Roger Taylor doing his thing. I mean, how is that possible that (laughs) Freddie doesn't have the highest voice in Queen? Yeah, so that's happening in Montreux, Switzerland. Yeah. They eventually get together. They uh, decide to hang out in the studio and just jam and just sort of rock out, see what happens, until at a certain point, Bowie's like, you guys... <laughs> look! Look at us. We're we're these five people. Let's write a song together. Let's turn this into a collaboration. Yeah. Of course, they, you know they're all half wasted anyway. But part of the fun of it, I guess, for them was they're just hanging out, being rich rock stars. But at some point, Bowie clicks into this gear, which is important for the rest of the story. Yeah. Which is serious. Let's get some shit done, boys. Yeah. Let's do something together. So they start jamming, and they start jamming on a song which Roger had kicking around, right. like a demo. And I'll play you a snippet of that. Um, and this actually, is feel like it's called feel like. There's actually some some scratch vocals too, and I'll play that for you right now. And as you can hear, those are that's the chord I mean, changes to I, under pressure. That's the song structure. To this intentionally, yeah. because I figured you were going to bring it in. Okay, and I had never heard this demo for for feel like before the show. Hearing it right now, it's got some of my favorite elements. That guitar part, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, we know we're going to talk about the bass line, but, like, there's so much that I love in Under Pressure. The piano, the guitar, like, there's so much stuff that works. So, like, yes, that is a great 
song. Maybe not. It maybe would have just been forgotten to the. It's the know, foundation time. for a great song. You know, yeah, it, it's it, it was a it was a brilliant thing to bring in too because it was already they'd already kind of worked on it enough to be like let's add to this rather than yeah. go from zero. You know, that which can be totally. sort of stressful sometimes. Yeah. I know from experience, like <laughs> play me something or, or or make something from scratch is like terrifying. <laughs> so they start it's like out. When someone comes up to me is like, hey, be funny. Like, <laughs> people really do that isn't Back that a cliche off, that's such a cliche that people say that means it really happens to you people say be funny uh, more than I care to oh my god more than I care to talk about I'm stressed out just thinking about that <laughs> happening to you my friend I want to protect you and I should mention by the way that they'd already decided prior to this jam session that they wanted to collab and, and they do have a collab which is David Bowie ended up singing backing vocals on Queen's song Cool Cat they ended up not using Bowie's contribution, right. but I was able to track Bowie it. Bowie didn't like his performance, right? I was able to track it down. Let's listen together and decide whether they made the right call. Yep. He's kind of rapping, I guess. So they I wonder, decided not when, to use when, that. When did <laughs> Bowie start dating Iman? When did they start dating? Oh, good question. Not not in '81. Not too much no, later. That's, that's a, yeah. in, in my in my dream world, Iman comes in and she's like, "Baby, uh -uh. don't rap. Don't don't do that pseudo rap thing." Um, yeah. What's funny is Cool Cat's one of my favorite songs on a much maligned album. We were talking about this before we started recording. Like, I think Hot Space is actually a good album. When it's you, a great record. When you start uh, doing research for our show, a lot of times you will come across sort of the conventional wisdom of a certain generation of, of music critics who are always like, oh, you know, I hated it when rock tried to do disco, when rock tried to go R&B. But like, come on, you guys. Like, I would say that those clubs that Freddie Mercury is clearly going to, maybe the whole band is going to, uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, like, I, th I think those are good albums. You know what's funny, though, is that Deacon... I, I like them. Like, I like Cool Cat. Yeah. Body Language, I still think, like, <laughs> yeah. as a side project, you and I should probably sample Body Language. Body Language, I'm so glad you... This is one of my favorite Queen songs. Off that album. I'll play it for you. This is Body Language from Start the, from the beginning, though. From the unfairly maligned Hot Space record, this yes. is Body Language. Right off the gate. I'm in. I'm in with that Lindrum synth bass. That's insanely good. Dude, I'm, I'm going to throw this, this out there. I just love this. I want to find out when this song came out. Yeah. And I also want to find out what year did Changing... Uh, oh, sorry, Change. Change. Glow of Love. Searching. Oh, no, searching, searching. searching. You're right. You're right. Right. I mean, like... It's inspired. Somebody listened to somebody's song. I'm going to go ahead and say that this came after, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure it did. I, regardless of Look, who came out first, so, I think Searching is like one of those great songs. Maybe if there's time, we'll do an episode about that, because that is early Luther Vandross, for those who don't know. Uh, Luther Vandross was the singer for Change for some time, and Searching is one of the really, really cool songs, and it sounds very similar to Body Language. I'll play you a little snippet right now. You be the judge. Oh yeah, 100%. So, one thing you have to remember, this is here's a story that'll answer your question. Okay. Don't forget, first of all, the dance stuff on this record in particular is really of a it's more of a John Deacon thing, the bass player mm -hmm. than Freddie. Yeah. Surprisingly a little bit. Yeah. John Deacon was really into like let's do something in more of a funk vein. Yeah. Funk and disco vein. So, and don't forget that he may have gotten into that mood when he was hanging out with Nile Rodgers the oh, night oh, oh. they wrote Good Times. Good times. Yes. And then decided, you know what? I got a baseline on my own. That <laughs> and that's when he wrote this. So John Deacon. John Deacon. Also liked dance music. Not just I, I will say this. We are firm believers that we are not uh, uh, music snitches. Oh, hell no. But This is all out there. Yeah. Body Language he talks came about out in 1982. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Searching by Change came out in 1980. Of course it did. Of course it did. There is no question. So I'm just John saying. John Deacon made a little mixtape. He's like, these are the songs I like so much that I'm going to write a song similar to it, but different. And that is exactly what he did. And that's okay, by the way. This is my firm belief. Now, that said, what we just heard was really freaking similar. Yeah. And given that Change did not achieve the monetary like right. peaks of, for of great fortune, stacks of money, Scrooge yeah. McDuck level... <laughs> No money that bed. Queen did. Yeah. I'm not super stoked about it. Saying it when we sort of hear it in the room. Yeah, there is. It's very difficult for me to imagine there wasn't a connection there. There though. might have an inspiration. Been. Yeah. Finish the chronology of how this song came about. All right. So they go to dinner. They've been jamming on this track, and they're partying. The partying continues. There's champagne. There's probably cocaine. 
There's drugs. There's <laughs> there's well documented cocaine. I, think I don't think we cocaine. had to pull any I want to seem accusatory. No, no, no. But I, mean, I think like, it's uh, safe to say it there was, was legal then, right? Right? No. <laughs> Basically, <it was> still... <laughs> if you were a rock star in Schedule 1981, a, I don't even know that. Topic. There was definitely a carve out in the law for you <laughs> in, Mon- in Montreux, Switzerland. I want to say something about yeah. cocaine. I want to say something about cocaine. To me, David Bowie is in that rare pantheon of artists that I just think are bona fide geniuses. Hell yeah! And I'm I feel like the same way that everybody who heard Charlie Parker thought, oh, if I take heroin, I can be Charlie Parker. No. No. He was a heroin, he was he was a genius who happened to be a heroin addict, not the other way around. Okay. And I feel like, I mean, the stories are legend. Bowie was apparently like a serious cokehead, but like the cocaine consumption is not what made him a genius. Oh, definitely He not. was David Bowie who just Hell happened no. to really enjoy cocaine. But like, I just had to put that out there. Yeah. I, I think we're going to talk open and honestly about the creation process. When One song is actually Bowie. a stealth just say no, don't do drugs, kids. Show. So I think we're kind of peeling back the curtain. Oh, my I think we're kids ready are to not allowed to listen to this. Okay. This and Breaking Bad. Yeah. I'm like, you'll find out when you're 16. Hey, real quick. One thing I love about the chronology yeah. is, and this gets towards the actual creation of the song. I know people are listening and waiting. Um, they're working on this music. Yeah. And then they go across the street at one point. I love this part of the story. <laughs> and I don't know if it's a restaurant or a bar, but apparently they just drank copious amounts of wine. Yes. And <laughs> like they're just over there, they're getting super lit. And then they come back over and people have forgotten what the they forgot this line they've been working on. Yes, they I weren't recording story. it. They were playing it and they're like, this is great. We'll remember this forever. And then they came back to the studio and they're like, what the fuck are <laughs> we just bass, doing? And then, and then the yeah. bass player can't quite remember. So John Deacon, yeah, who ahead. came up with this iconic bass line, has forgotten what he was playing. And Bowie remembers it. So the funny thing about this story, too, is that well, everyone I've tells heard different it differently. stories about they this. They all tell it differently. Yes. Yeah. You, you go ahead and tell both. Yeah. So in one telling, and I think I think it's very kind what they're doing. I think Deacon, when he tells it, gives Bowie credit, and Bowie kind of avoids the credit well, and gives it back to him. Well, not at first. There was an interview. No, no, no. I no, mean, no like, tell listen, me what you, what you know. What I found was that Deacon at first said, musically, this song is all Freddy. Like, did you? This is like in an '82 interview. Okay, he says musically, yeah. it's Freddie. Lyrically, it's Bowie. And then um, I think it's Roger Taylor. Roger Taylor, yeah, the drummer. I think it's Roger Taylor who says no. This song was basically feel like, but with Bowie contributing to the bass line, the the famous bass line part. Yeah, go ahead. This is I love this because the Rashomon nature of creativity is you have to people should apply this to everything they ever hear about how stuff got made <laughs> yeah. because not only is there the like people were in the room came out of the room and suddenly there's no people, no two stories are the right, same and the and the people yeah. in the room have different stories depending on what year you're talking to them it changes over time yeah. it changes based on the relationships it changes because there's lawsuits involved and it changes also because of memories yeah. and it changes also because of maybe some the amount of wine and cocaine being consumed. wine and cocaine. <laughs> But right. And at the time you're coming, if you're in the room making something, sometimes you don't realize that you're influenced by the person who said something next to you. Yes. A million ways that the creative process makes it really difficult to untangle the exact specific contributions of every single person Absolutely. as separate from the others. Now, I did interrupt you because I think you were about to tell us the story that I think is kind of the most agreed upon ending to the creation process, which is that. Uh, John Deacon does forget yeah. the bass. John Deacon forgets and, his own bass and line. And it's Bowie who reminds him, no, it, it sort of went like this. What I think is funny about the retelling, and I think it might be kind of a mutually understood, you know, tacit thing amongst the players, mm-hmm. is that Deakey probably did forget which six notes in a row he played. Yeah. He knew there was something about six notes in a row, but exactly the rhythm and what came next seemed to be unsure. What What I think happened is that Bowie had something in his mind that he thought was better. And what he said was, no, John, you were playing this. And sort of like incepted it to be like, oh, great idea, John. I thought about that when I read that. Yeah. I was like, right? do we know that Bowie actually remembered what it was? I or think... is it possibly that he thought, oh, this agree. would be better if it's something like this? I you don't 100% know. You don't, agree. How, how would we ever know? We'll never know. But we both read into it the same thing. Yeah. And I think it was just a matter of like, this will be better, but like, let's give him credit for it. So... <laughs> But by the way, we're not even taking away. From, did you call him Deaky? Deaky, that's I've his never, nickname. I've never heard that. Yeah, we I got mean, Barney. Barney's in the order, and Deaky. <laughs> Deaky's I don't know in if queen. I can call another man Deaky with a straight face. <laughs> the British people have these really like funny nicknames for each other sometimes, yeah, yeah, like yeah, Deaky. Totally. If your name is like Morrissey, goes by like they call him Moz, right? Mazer. Gary's or Gaz. 
Someone has to explain that to us. One of these days, we're going to do a deep dive on the term soccer and how that came about. It's a very British origin for the word soccer. Well, it's football because you use your foot. It goes back to football association. Okay. But we'll talk about that another time. After the break, those spine-tingling vocal stems, we promise, we're going to play them, as well as that iconic bass line. And we'll get into the Freddie Mercury and David Bowie. uh, Beef is too strong a word, but we'll just say they definitely butted heads like some rams fighting over the ladies in the flock. Uh, We will get into all that when we come back. Welcome back to One Song Luxury. Where do you want to start? All right. Well, we're going to talk about Queens Under Pressure from the inside out. This is a song written by five gentlemen, Roger Taylor, Freddie Mercury, John Deacon, Brian May, David Bowie. Yeah. Produced by Queen with Bowie. Engineer was named Mac, Reinhold Mac. Yeah. And uh, there's an additional uh, credit that r- flows around. I think he pl- also played keyboards, and that's this gentleman named Dave Richards. So just credit where it's due. Okay. So good old Roger Taylor with, with that high, high, high note is also really one of the most unsung great drummers of our era. I'm a huge John Bonham fan, and everyone loves Keith Moon, whatever, but like this guy's a I monster. I like Animal. I like Animal. And Speaking Travis. Of mo- he's one of my favorite monsters. <laughs> and Travis Barker. And Quest Love. Shout out to Quest. Shout out. Okay, there's lots of drummers. Let's face it. <laughs> Roger Taylor is just one of many. Yes. <laughs> no, Roger Taylor is a monster of a drummer, and here he is playing drums for Under Pressure. I'm going to start with this chunk here, which is just the basic beat, and then we'll get into some of the sick stuff that comes later. So you can hear a lot of bleed in there. That is actually isolated, but he's playing in a room and he's obviously listening to the mix either in his earphones or in the room itself, which is why you hear some bleed from the others. And here's Roger Taylor going into the chorus. It sounds so big in part because we've got reverb, but he also just hits really hard. So here is the greatest part of the song from a drum perspective. This is a monster of a fill that happens right after the bridge. When I hear this, I hear Dave Grohl in his room as a teenager (laughs) listening to it. But let's listen to the whole thing. Insanity lies under pressure. That's that part. This is so Dave Grohl to me. Oh my God. So sick. So powerful, so loud. Take that, Wembley! <laughs> oh, so stadium. <laughs> it's so These guys stadium. were born to be in stadiums. I mean, you just you forget how much Queen, they didn't invent stadium rock, but they kind of like perfected stadium I mean, rock. Yeah, right? Exactly. Right? That's well put. Yeah, yeah, Zeppelin maybe kind of invented it, I think quite literally, but the, the Queen took it to the next level, writing songs for those stadiums that yes. they were now filling, right? <laughs> that was outstanding. I love that. Part. I don't know. You can follow up any drum stems with that. That those were the those that's, were the that's peak, how, peak, peak moments. All right. I so, love that you brought up Dave Grohl because we've mentioned on the show before his conversation with Pharrell and all the stuff. Yeah. that he was listening to. For his part, Pharrell, I'll never forget. Somewhere in the aughts was like, I'm starting this label named Star Trek, and what I'm looking for is not just rappers. I'd love to find a rock singer whose voice reminds me of Freddie Mercury. I just oh, really? think that Freddie's voice has love across so many different genres. Like, it's incredible, It's just right? one of those voices. Why like, do you think that is? I just think that there's certain voices that you can't, you can never mimic or, or, or Freddie Mercury, Michael Jackson, uh, Marvin Gaye. Uh, there's some voices that just, there's no duplicating them. They're once-in-a-lifetime voices. Well, and, and Freddie just... I mean, you played that note earlier. Like yeah. <laughs> most people couldn't hit that note, much less maintain it Hold like it, that, and then bend it at the end higher, and then bend it higher. <laughs> it's We're going to get into that stuff in a minute. We're, We're going to talk the and listen to so much. In the meantime, let's listen to that iconic bass line. And it is definitely true, as some commenters have pointed out. We overuse the word iconic on this show. I am definitely guilty of overusing the you word are iconic. iconic when it comes to overusing the word I, iconic. That's fair. And I am and I'm right there with you. That is so fair. <laughs> but there may be no more iconic <laughs> use of the bass guitar than this. This is up there. Ice, ice. 
<laughs> There's no dun dun dun. There's no dun dun dun. It's just dun dun. There's no seventh dun. I'm so tempted to skip Only ahead. We all we all saw that interview. We Only all, six dun. All our brains exploded. <laughs> um. I mean, what what can be said about that baseline? The simplicity. Not only is it simple because it's sort of short. Those six notes are the same note. This is a two note riff. You've got seven total notes, and six of them are. If you've fucking picked up same. a bass guitar, yeah. you can probably play this. Oh yeah, <laughs> you only need to know two notes, and you can kind of like forget. Like the second one, you can kind of <laughs> fake a little bit. It's just that one little rhythmic da da da, that sixteenth note, which we think that maybe Bowie added. It's unclear, like in the transition from Deaky playing something to Bowie misremembering it, possibly in a bet in what in his mind was a, a better version of it, but certainly that. Da da dun dun. That sixteenth note makes it makes it. I think why it is so iconic. It's I, a big part of why it's so iconic. I I totally agree. Only because you brought it up, I want to. Only because you brought up that iconic <laughs> <laughs> baseline. But uh, I'd like to play just a snippet of their performance on Saturday Night Live, uh, where you'll notice that the uh, the <laughs> that iconic the whole song is sped up to what I would call 1982 cocaine fast. But just to, <laughs> by the way, fun fact: this is the first and the last time that America, Queen. Right? Played, played the song in America. Played the song yeah. in America. So check this out. This is from Saturday Night Live, 1982. Chevy Chase was the host. He definitely doesn't know about cocaine. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Under Pressure on Saturday Night Live. Under pressure. Under pressure. Pressure. If you have the time, go find this clip before uh, NBC rips it off of YouTube. Okay. I want to talk about the guitars because the guitars, we were going to say a lot about the bass line, but the guitars are freaking epic in this song. Can you play us some? Yeah, and it's fun to listen back to that first demo because a lot of that stuff made the cut. In fact, this first thing I'll play for you is something we heard in the original demo before Bowie even entered the room, and here it is. This is Brian May, one of the guitar parts, the, the initial one that starts the song. So good. Sounds like a calliope? What is that thing called? So he's playing a 12-string, apparently. I think there's a mix of guitars in there, but it was Bowie's suggestion to have one of them be a 12-string guitar. Um, Sounds almost like harpsichord, but it's it's, it's gorgeous. Very treble. Very, very treble. Very attacky. So that's that's the part that we know existed prior to them all entering the room in Montreux, because it was on the demo for Feel Like. And then we get into this part, which is in the chorus. And then more come in. So those are the two main things that Brian May plays during the song. And then there's this one part. Remember a moment ago I played that huge Dave Grohl-esque yeah, that, drum those drums. Yeah. There's a part here, there's a funny story behind it, which I read, where um, this is another idea that Brian May had, I guess, lying around in his riff drawer in his mm-hmm. brain. And he wanted to use it in the song. Okay, so May was like, I'm going to get this riff into the song somehow. And this is a quote from him. This is his heavy riff. I remember saying, cool, it sounds like The Who, at which point David Bowie frowns a little bit and says, (laughs) it won't sound like The Who by the time we are finished. (laughs) So here's that riff. Shots fired. Here's that riff that he's referring to. At The Who. (laughs) And you can hear it here. It's very Who. That does sound like The Who. It does sound like The Who. And it sounds even more like The Who when he does those big open chords. That's like Baba O'Reilly, right? Yes. So there's definitely like a a little Who influence going on there. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So that's Brian May. Those are guitars. There's a lot more going on. I'll just play you a little teeny bit of, of some of the keyboards just because they're fun to listen to before we get into the meat of it all, the vocals. Um, so here's that piano, plink, plink, by itself. Again, we get the doon, 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 and the piano, play, the let, simplicity. Let it play. <laughs> I did. I did not know that was there. 
Do you want to hear that again? Is that one of those things? Can we hear that again? I mean, was that, what was that? Flash Gordon made it into the studio. Apparently, that is a synthesizer from 1981. I'll look up the. It exact sounds one. like it. It sounds it like my. It sounds like my Casio keyboard when I was a kid. <laughs> might be a Fairlight. Maybe that's the Ob and Oberheim. But whatever it is, that <laughs> <laughs> makes me laugh every time. You know, never meet your heroes, and sometimes don't <laughs> listen to the stints. <laughs> you know what's interesting is hearing that piano by itself. I'm in my brain. You know. We were talking in the Sly episode, Sly and the Family Stone episode, that you know the, the greatest musicians like you think you hear stuff that's not even there. Yeah. And with this piano, I I, I was actually hearing a slightly different note in the song I, version yeah. in your mind all bang, these years. Bang. I, for some reason, in my head, it sounds a little bit different than when I'm hearing it now. That's just interesting. By itself. Yeah. It's just weird like that. Yeah. Sometimes in the mix, other instruments kind of blend in with each other. So you yes. think there's another be, instrument right, yeah. that's working there the that makes it sound a little. Yeah, different. It's probably the guitar. It's probably the guitar part because that's being layered like this. I'll just play them for you. Play them together. Yeah. <laughs> you really like that. <laughs> Here it is without that. Yeah, I think it's because the guitar is there. Uh, it's, it's it's making other things happen in my brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Um, there is always that's the joy of of li- listening to the stems and and sharing them on the show. There's yeah. stuff that you don't notice in the mix, like that foghorn that they obviously the San Francisco foghorn so, noise, whatever the fuck. That's definitely a keyboard. I'm just joking. It's yeah, obviously yeah. a synthesizer, but, but it's very but, it is very funny. Can you play us anything else um, that you discovered listening to these that you think is either not in the mix or we would have never noticed it? Absolutely. Yeah. Here's a little interesting something I think you might enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like those like rubber chickens that like the kids all like that drive me crazy because you step on it. I kind of need to hear that again. You. you ready to do the visual for it with the rubber chicken? Here we go. <laughs> I think every parent knows what I'm talking about. It's those rubber chickens. Yeah, um, you may not notice that's there, but now you'll never unhear it. <laughs> and let's see if I got one more. It, it shows stop. up every time. Make it stop. They lumped it so much <laughs> they used stop. it in every chorus. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cut it. Cut it. Am I ruining Don't this do song? This. Cut it. Don't cut, cut this off. Cut this off. I'm so sorry. Freddie doesn't have the highest voice. There's a dead rooster on the track. And there's Giala's a Giallo's experience horn. of under pressure no, you know forever, maybe, forever this, maybe we shouldn't have done this song. Because I thought it was the perfect song, and now I have some notes. <laughs> I, Diallo, who's created nothing this great, has some notes. Okay, so I, I think it's fair to say we're coming to the moment we've all been waiting for. Luxury, let's talk about the vocals. And I think you want to start us off with a quick story about how the vocals got recorded. So at this point in the project, Bowie is starting to really take the organizational hand, shall we say? I was going to say the upper hand, but he is definitely kind of the project manager of this situation. And he suggests, and this comes from his own experience, by the way, as a very creative, his creative methods included a lot of like Dadaist things and surreal, like cut-ups and things like that. Like you take newspapers and you chop them up, throw them on the floor. Maybe there's some lyrics there kind of stuff. So he suggests that everyone go into the, to, to get the lyrics and the melodies that all the members, not just him and Freddie, all five of them go into the studio, into the vocal booth and just come up with whatever comes into their head in the moment. So they're to listen to the instrumental track and just whatever comes out of their mouth, just let it go and don't overly criticize, you know, don't be critical about it. Yeah. So they do this. And what I'm going to play for you, in addition to all the I- iconic stuff that we've heard many times, but never quite like this isolated, is other stuff that wasn't in the final version. We're going to hear one of my favorite things is Brian May, who usually has one song in every Queen record, but he isn't normally on Under Pressure. He, there's a verse that he comes up with, which is generally not something people know exists, and we're going to play that for you. But first, let's play Brian May. You want to start with Brian May? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're talking yeah. about Brian because yeah. uh, th- I think you're about to play this vocal. And yeah, let's you start can with hear, Brian's unused vocal. Yeah, and you can hear uh, Freddie and, and David in the background yep. yelling people on streets, right. which is the working title of Under Pressure. Yeah, because that's all they they had been just vocalizing nonsense, except a few words popped up and they're like, yeah. hey, people on streets. People on I streets. I like that. It's so very you, catchy. You'll hear that as Brian works out his idea here. You'll hear them popping up. Here we go. This is Brian May on lead, and then people on the streets is David and Freddie. 
Silent and lonely. People on the streets. Nowhere to run. People on the streets. They don't know people. The kind of people who get things done. <laughs> I thought he was going to say, the kind of people who live on streets. <laughs> That would sort of tie it up in a nice little bow, wouldn't it? Yeah, man. No, seriously. <laughs> people I, who get things done. People on the street. Different song. I think, you know, I was. I, we we here at the show are big on on vulnerability. Yes. I was this year's old when I found out that they're saying people on streets. Right. I thought there was just more of that sort of scatty <laughs> that they do that. Beep it up, beep. <laughs> yeah, I thought that, I didn't know they were saying people on streets. Yeah, people so on that, streets. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, right on. <laughs> I'm just gonna do one more unused thing because it's very funny. This to me feels like. Freddie putting on his Barry Gibb hat. Okay. <laughs> You'll hear why I think that in a moment. You said New York, New York is dangerous. Because <laughs> you read that way you may. Now, especially- I love that. I love that. So basically. <laughs> listen, listen to this. <laughs> First off, that sounds like Jimmy Fallon doing his impression <laughs> right. of Barry Gibb. You're right. But that's why we like putting everything in its historical context because. Yeah. They're listening to the radio just as much as an artist today would be listening right. to Doja Cat on the radio. Like, yeah. he's heard Barry. He's probably like, like oh, I like that. He's like, well, he's, he, he could be like, I like that. Or he's like, hey, guys, have you guys noticed that Barry gets like, ha, 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 You know, like, that's really cool. Whoever knew that was in there? It makes me wonder, too, now that we're talking about it, is that the inspiration for the ultimate why, which we just heard at the beginning, which is crazy? In other words, did he start out as a joke doing the Barry Gibb and then decide, let's, like, do it? Why? 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 Like, let's do it for real. But you know, and belt it because he's Prince belting is it out at this time too. And I almost wonder, okay. like, that almost sounded less Barry Gibb and more Prince, like that. Interesting. That, and I'm not saying that he's copying Prince or that Prince, Prince is doing that. Curtis Mayfield, though, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like, everybody's like influencing everybody yeah. else. But when I heard that, I did think I was like, you know, because I know that later on, Freddie and and Michael Jackson are going to work together. But that part, that. That part sounded more like Prince to me. Okay. Which is, I think, sort of interesting. The wobbliness to me sounded like Barry Gibb. The wobbly, but that other part you played is 100% (laughs) Barry Gibb. I love that section. That's so funny. And I'll just do one more. It's just fun to hear Freddie sing a line that didn't end up getting used. And here's that line. Talk to the lady, talks and dreams. Sitting on the stairs, she's people to me. That did get used. No. That's not in there? No. Oh, I'm thinking about the part. These are the days. It never rains. This is him getting, maybe this is him nailing and finding that melody and choosing to use it in falsetto, but then rewriting the lyric is kind of what I think. And and actually, it might have been Bowie who wrote the new lyric for that melody. And this gets back to what we were saying before about the Rashomon of who said what. You said that Deacon said Freddie was responsible for music. Yeah. And And Bowie for lyrics. I mean, like, I I think that's probably accurate. And my guess is from what we heard, that's a perfect example. That's probably Freddie going, I got this great idea. Here's the melody. I'm going to do it in falsetto. And Bowie's like, and here's a better lyric for it. That's just speculation. But Total speculation together, on our behalf. But you know what? Based on all these interviews, that's what I think might have happened. There are a lot of freaking interviews out there, folks. And now let's hear Bowie's unused stuff. This is another line from Bowie, which he sang uh, off the dome, top of the dome. Presumably, maybe he wrote some of these lyrics down, but this didn't get used. Damn! There could be a hellhole, but it's not what you think. You count them in figures, and I call them friends. <laughs> they take me high, take me high. <laughs> the phrase, it could be a hellhole. <laughs> <laughs> could be a hellhole. Oh, man. They decided they could top that. <laughs> and they did. What they left in was pure gold. Um, <laughs> now we've come to the part that everybody's been waiting for. And and for this, I have a small request for our one song listeners. I want you to close your eyes and just listen just this once to Freddie's voice. Why can't we give love, 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 Gotta play the whole thing. No, because we're going to talk about this separately. Oh, God, it pains me so much I know, to stop it's, it's it right a, there. It's hard to stop oh, the music. It pains me. <laughs> Please don't stop the music. It's really hard to stop that part because it's such a natural progression. But I just... Emotional moment after it's emotional, so emotional moment. So many it's of so them. It's so emotional. I just... I don't want to sound like that fogey who's like, 
where's the music? But it's so emotional, and his yeah. voice is so good. Yeah, it's so good. Even, and it's hook after hook after hook after hook. It's it's pleasure center being tickled, moment like continuously in different ways. Yeah, man. And like you know, when you hear it without the music, you hear. I heard the growl in that one part yeah. more than I think I've ever really appreciated. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like he's just hitting you over and over with give love, give love, give love. There's just so much going on there. I just, I love it so much. It sounds so good and it's so emotional and it's so raw. I'm feeling the same And you just wonder like, is there music right now? My mind always goes to, is there music right now that I'm not listening to that I should be because it's just as good as this. My problem sometimes yeah. is like when pe- when I go to people, I'm like, I want to hear something emotional. They give me like some singer songwriter. No offense, it's like a person with like an acoustic guitar and they're singing about like their shitty breakfast. And I'm like, <laughs> that's not what I mean by emotional. I mean yeah. like this is hard rock and music with drums and bass and guitars and stuff, but it's still at its heart really emotional. I just don't yeah. want to miss the boat on something being recorded right now. But maybe maybe that comes. I, I have two minds on that. I, I hear everything you're saying, and yeah. I agree. And I simultaneously think, well, maybe there's something happening now that over time will emerge as that. Yeah. But at the same time, I think this hit just as hard. Listen, one it's in 1981 hard. as it hits 40 yeah, plus years later. Yeah, I later. think so too. So maybe the time will make it that <laughs> this way. This was a single. Argument doesn't, like it's not even like you yeah. had to search on the album to find yeah. this. This was the Hot Space single, <laughs> and his voice. But that's why I think <sighs> that, like you know. Whether it's a, a a rapper with incredible skill or a singer with an incredible voice, like Freddie is a once in a generation talent. Yeah, and and so is David Bowie. And so is that David is what's Bowie. So crazy. About I want to listen song. to David. Can you play me some David Bowie? Let's continue. Can you pick with, it up. Yes. Pick it up where we left pick off. Pick it up where you left Thank off. Thank you so much. And that was if they me. both come in together at the end of the David Bowie <laughs> if and verse, only if. as yeah. I think they will, yeah. just let it ride. About oh, that's Roger. Oh my god. All right, now listen. Fucking chills. I agree. All the chills in the world. Fuck. All the chills in the world. And yet so juiced. And yet I've always thought that was Freddie coming in and harmonizing with him. That's not Freddie. I just noticed that too. No, that's Roger Taylor, he of the high high voice. There he is doing the high harmony there. And it's a little lower. It's a little raspy. You can tell because of the raspiness. Now that you say it, I guess That's I can hear distinctive it. distinctive raspiness of Roger Taylor. I'm still Taylor. giving Freddie the props on that. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. You know, I don't even know if Freddie's in I want to keep a little bit of the magic alive. <laughs> Wait, is Freddie even in this? I want to listen again. This is I'm not sure that Freddie's part of that. That might just be Bowie and Roger. Caring about well, whatever the fuck is going on That's, there. I mean, it's amazing. It's insane. It's amazing. And we've just had a minute now, and a half of, it's one of those things, you know when you listen to the song, it's like, I can't wait for that next part. Yeah. This is a part where for a minute and a half straight, from the drum fill to the end of the song, which we just heard, everything that's happening, I'm like, I love this. Oh, and it's about to get better. Oh, I love this. Oh, it's about to get better. Oh, I love this. It's about to get better. Yeah. It is this build that never ceases to like- They're playing with our emotions. Ah! <laughs> it is if you so want to be intense. honest about it. So intense. I have a practical question and a more- esoteric philosophical question they went off into separate places and recorded vocals like the vocal they, they went to the vocal booth separately one at a time right yeah. so how are they harmonizing and hitting the same notes like that's just the writing process okay. so they're writing that way and we heard some results because they recorded it mm-hmm. and that's still part of you know the the tapes that have been passed around uh-huh. and led to me but they didn't use it and then yeah. when they finally did lay down so they did when agree they, upon the lyrics and then they came together and at sang. a certain point what i understand is that it's really bowie who's kind of making some final choices about what remains like what to use out of all these ideas the patchwork of ideas because there is a lot of different things and it's a difficult thing logistically to do to figure out which do we use what what don't we use yeah at a certain point again going back just like relying on interviews and sort of piecing together a lot of people with slightly different stories. Yeah. It seems like Bowie was the one, maybe with Roger, who went back to the studio the next day and said, let's use this, let's use that. But he is bringing it. Oh, I think I just answered the question. That's why Freddie's not on the end there. Because he wasn't there the next day. And Roger was. 
I think that's why we just heard the end of the song with the, only the two of them. Sometimes Freddie didn't come back. Sometimes revelation has to come from just going through the information that you would already make sense. have. Yeah, that would that's make true. sense because they only recorded everything on that first day, which is yeah. part of the insane magic of the song. The next day was mixing. They just took what they had and made it into this. But you're right. What a great question that prompted that revelation because it's like Freddie wasn't there to sing harmonies. He wasn't only there to Roger sing it. was. Holy shit. Wow. I love the fact that we came up with that that's in pretty, real yeah. show time. That's our theory. That's, I mean, that's, that's a, a good theory. One. If anybody wants to debate us, hit up the show. <laughs> now, of course, this song was famously sampled. We debated whether to even bring this up, honestly. <laughs> so obvious. Because the most obvious sample in history. In their world, yeah, so if you, if you talk to a person who doesn't know anything about samples or interpolation, right. they still know about Ice Ice Baby and about And this pressure. interview segment, which I'll play for you, just without any more introduction. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're going to play. We sampled them from them, but it's not the same bass line. Uh, like it goes ding 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 ding. That's the way theirs goes. Ours goes ding 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 ding. Okay, it's listen. Funny every time. We're we're talking now about how under pressure's bass line went from rock and roll history to to hip hop infamy, if you will. The I gotta give him some credit. The audacity. <laughs> you know, I thought at the time I I was listening for it this time he says the same thing twice he goes ding 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 and then he goes but ours goes ding 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 like it's the exact same shit you just the the balls it isn't it is an extra note let's kick it yeah all right I think any honest lover of hip hop will have to admit that that beat is dope. It's like, a dope it's like, beat, and I'm using that word "dope" intentionally because it's 1990. <laughs> uh, that beat is fucking. Yeah. And that is seventh note, that extra done, 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 done. Is it an extra note? Totally different. It is a seventh. It is an extra note. Instead of the six done, done, duns, it's seven done, done, duns. Done, 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 done. So he wasn't making that up. They did change. Done, 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 done. Hold on, hold on, hold on. For the record, when I hear him give that explanation, I hear the exact same thing. Like I hear him say essentially the exact same thing. I don't hear a seventh note. He even kind of leans forward. He goes, Oh, I know. Oh, ours is dun dun dun. I thought dun, he was dun, trying dun, to play a Jedi mind trick. <laughs> Seriously, I thought yeah. he was trying. Maybe it's because, mm-hmm. as I said earlier in the show, the first time I ever heard this bass line was in Ice Ice Baby. Yeah. So it might be a case of when I listen to Under Pressure to this day, I am unknowingly hearing the seventh note that is not there. Yeah. That is very possible. I want to say really quickly, mm-hmm. I, I have to tell my Ice Ice Baby story. Please. So. Guys, it's the it's the it's 1990, and Take the radio is where we find it's not TikTok. The radio is where you find. Yeah. And most of us kids were all listening to V103 in Atlanta. I remember very distinctly that they played that song, and then the next day, sort of like a water cooler moment, yeah. everybody was like, "Yo, did you hear that song last night?" <laughs> and everybody was like, "Ice, ice, baby!" Like everybody was really amped and excited. Yeah. We're elementary school kids. We have no taste in music, but like we love that song. And I'll never forget this one kid in the back of the room was like, yo, that rapper's white. And like the room stopped. And like you just can't even imagine. I don't think people today can imagine just how insane that was. So he was pulling it off to you guys. Dude, nobody knew what Vanilla Ice looked like the morning after Ice Ice Baby but debuted on Atlanta Radio. Or whatever that was like. We didn't okay. have, nobody, the video's okay. not out yet. I mean, yeah. you got to realize there used to be a gap in between the song yeah, and the yeah, video. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The song would come out, it was wow. a hit, and then you got a video. Okay, and so he so, was getting away with it. All right. All of us, I'll never forget, whoever, I don't remember the kid's name, but like, maybe it was Vaki Ross. But like, <laughs> I remember, I don't remember, Vaki Ross was old for All the life. air left the room. Everybody was like, <laughs> No, there's no way. It was all like, shut up, Jamal. That ain't true. Like, none of us like to think that a white kid, that song sounded like a hot Florida night driving a, a 1990 Ford Mustang. So, did you change your tune? It did not tune sound like a it? white kid rapping. And we definitely didn't know he had a hammer hit on hammer pants like, and like a high top. Right. A fake high top. Yes. Hair, hair like, thing. I just yeah, remember yeah. how everybody was shocked into silence that he could be white. And then we just moved on. Like we just moved on. You never talked about it ever again. Let's Weeks pretend later, this ever when happened. Weeks later, the video came out. Vow of people silence. were like, "Yo, he's white." And then you saw like a little bit of a line in the sand. Like some kids were still like, "It's still okay. dope, though." And other kids were like, "Nah, he he's faking." Which it. side of that line were you on? 
I think I was on the side. It's still kind of a good song, you guys. Okay. But like, it wasn't that like we can't like it now. The 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 anti line of argument was that he's faking it. He's not living yeah, that yeah. life because you know in Atlanta, like it yeah. was very segregated. We didn't know that there were like real white street kids. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. not even saying Robert Van Winkle was. I actually don't know Robert's story. I know a little know bit. I did a little, a, I did a little well, bit. Tell of, us about it. What, I what did is a deeper Robert's dig. story? I did a deeper dig. So if, if anyone has been following this story, because it's such a fun one to follow, he has this infamous video we just played the clip of where he's like, Denying, first of all. Yeah, so step yeah. one, deny. Deny, deny, deny. deny. <laughs> He's literally trying to tell us to our faces yeah. that they are not the same. So mm-hmm. this is some combination of like ignorance and just like, you know, just bravado. Right. Probably combined. He may not have known that that extra note didn't make him a plagiarist. Yeah. That may be the but case. that's the grown-up him. I mean, like, background-wise, what... I, Robert Van Winkle, does he come from money? Is he like a, a poor Florida I'm kid? I'm going to tell you a little bit about Robert Is Van Winkle. Is he from Florida? I always assumed he was from Florida. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Robert okay. Van Winkle. And by the way, i got to give a shout out to my friend Claire McLeish, who uh, is is a, rec- a friend of mine from the musicology. I met her literally at the American Musicology Society <laughs> in Denver, the annual conference that I just came back That's from. That's admittedly the most non-street <laughs> thing we're going to hear all episode. <laughs> Good friend of mine. We were both kind of working on similar things. We're both interested in sampling and interpolation and all this to say that she had done a deep dive that she helped me before this episode with some research she was able to get Mm -hmm. into some publications I didn't have access to. So uh, some of these facts are things that may be revelations in public for the first time, because in most recently, if you look up this case, you may find a clip many years later of Mr. Robert Van Winkle, AKA Vanilla Ice claiming that he bought out the song. Right. And he's very vague about what he's talking about. Like mm. there's an Opie and Anthony clip where he's like, I have $4 million. I bought it. I'm like Michael Jackson with the Beatles. I'm so smart. And Opie and Anthony are like, whoa, that's amazing. You're blowing How our minds. How did he buy it with $4 million when it's his first song? And what is he even talking about? So like, I can break down for you what that actually means. <laughs> I've done some homework. Okay. If anyone out there wants to do some of this, you can follow along with a little bit. You can go to BMI.com and learn that the actual writing credits for Under Pressure do not include Robert Van Winkle. That's his real name. So he's yep. definitely not talking about owning Under Pressure. That that would not be the case as an owner. And if you look at the Ice Ice Baby credits, you will find all the members of Queen. You will find David Bowie. And by the way, and this is important too, you will also find a couple more names. You'll find Floyd Brown, who's DJ Earthquake, who's the producer okay. who produced that track, and Mario Chocolate Johnson, who's the lyricist. And there are various interviews with both of them that I believe in which they both say that Robert Van Winkle did nothing except show up and rap that day, that all the lyrics were written by Chocolate Johnson, which is why their stories about Suge Knight shaking him down, a little exaggerated for publishing. <laughs> but it's safe that's to say- That's the famous hanging you off the, off the balcony That's that famous story, Hollywood, which yeah. did not happen. That didn't so happen? These are facts that are verifiable in those databases. But my friend helped me go a step further. Did Suge hang someone else over the balcony? It is quite possible. Okay. I don't want to get into any conversations. <laughs> I don't want to get into any conversation about Suge. I think he's a really great- <laughs> We're, okay, we're you know excited what? to have him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so after that Opie and Anthony interview where he claims for $4 million he bought it, a Queen spokesman said, told Ultimate Ro- Classic Rock, this publication, that Vanilla Ice's statement is inaccurate and, arra- <laughs> and arrangement like, was inaccurate. made. An arrangement was made whereby the publishing in the song was shared. So just to sum it all up, there is some truth in the fact that he probably did pay $4 million to have some kind of you know, participation in getting royalties, but he's not an Uh owner. Uh And that's important because the difference is that if you're an owner, it means that you have the right to license it. You can authorize derivative works. You can, you can approve it for use in a movie or a movie trailer. He doesn't have any of those rights that Uh an owner would, but he probably, he might be getting paid in a new innovative way behind the scenes. Technically not an owner. So he doesn't own, (laughs) it's not the same as Michael Jackson buying the Beatles, right? which is the the comparison he makes himself. That's, that's a way different thing. (laughs) Earlier on the show, I said, never meet your heroes. Apparently never meet your zeros. (laughs) Ouch. Darn. Listen, uh, whatever that Vanilla Ice movie to the extreme, he famously said, hey, lose that zero, get with a hero. So I was trying to do a, but now it sounds like I've picked beef with Vanilla Ice, which I'm perfectly comfortable. (laughs) You're ready for that. All right, so one of the things people say about this song is it is perhaps the ultimate collaboration, the ultimate duet. Definitely one of them, yeah, for sure. Yeah, oh my God. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than Queen and David Bowie. Yeah. Two of my favorite artists of all time, the two most iconic like voices and artists and musicians and th- their voices themselves, but also the artwork they make surrounding the music yeah. with the visuals and the costumes and incredible collaboration. But let me ask you this, D.L. Yeah. Riddle. 
What are your favorite collaborations or oh, of all time? Well, I, you know, I thought we were going to have a chance to talk about it. We didn't really get it. But um, Freddie and uh, M- and Michael Jackson were, were sort of fans. And you can see footage of Michael Jackson backstage at a Queen concert on yeah. YouTube. Uh, I think they're two of the greatest voices not to be mimicked ever again. And they recorded State of Shock together, which is a decent song. But, like, you know, I, I just I can think of several other, Isn't that Mike, you know. Isn't that Mick Jagger? It's it, well. It eventually became Michael I Jackson and Mick Jagger, but the original recording of it oh. was Michael Jackson and Freddie Mercury, and you can you can definitely find that on YouTube. So that was cool. Yeah, and oh of my course God. Michael Jackson. Did his music with the Beatles? We've yes. talked previously about "Say Say Say," the which infamous is "Say Say Say," only song that would have made Thriller better. <laughs> they definitely it should but have they gave say, us say, "The say. Girl Is should've Mine," say, say, say. which should have definitely been on Paul's record. That would have pleased so many more people. It makes so much more sense. Um, way. Let's let's fit that into every fifth episode. <laughs> let's that fit that into every, by the way, Paul clearly in the mood to collaborate. Yeah, um, you know, did uh, his song with Stevie Wonder, "Ebony and Ivory." Um, you've got uh, Mick Jagger and Bowie working together on that song. Dancing in the Streets. <laughs> Dancing <laughs> that in the Streets. Classic video. Classic video. You haven't seen the version where it's like they take the music out and it's just <laughs> like breathing, <laughs> heavy breathing. It's <laughs> right for dancing in the street. Dancing in the it's so funny. We've got uh, Kitty Rogers and Dolly Parton. I was in the stream around this time. We already mentioned Bowie with uh, John Lennon and uh, for fame. And what's crazy is that on the Petty album with um, on the album with Under Pressure, there is a song uh, called "Life Is Real," which is uh, Freddie's dedication to uh, his oh, recently John past friend, right. John Lennon. And then, of course, you've got Fame. Uh, the famous collaboration with uh, David Bowie and John Lennon, who I don't yeah. think we all knew that Lennon was on that track. Uh, yeah, but but uh, but that's once you find it saying, out, it's it's that's it's him very saying cool. fame. That's yeah. him doing the fame. And then album. just to bring it full circle, the album that Under Pressure appeared on, Hot Space, yeah. uh, has a tribute to uh, John Lennon uh, from. Freddie Mercury. I just I keep thinking about yeah, yeah go ahead yeah no that, that was it what I, were you gonna say I just keep thinking about how Hot Space people I, I hope some people go check out the album they really and should what's really funny when you look at it is like it, it is their le- it seems to be their least loved record just by the numbers <laughs> on Spotify and it's comical because like all these songs are like four million three million but then you have Under Pressure at the end because it's the last song with one point five billion <laughs> <laughs> it just sort of speaks to like you but know again, it really carry that album appreciate R and B and disco and this is and an album where even. Queen was trying some stuff I yeah. think. Stay in power Underrated. is a is a is a decent song. I, I actually like Cool Cat. I'm yeah. so glad you played the the Bowie and part back of it. Chat is great, and, and yeah. we already talked about body language. I think calling all girls. I remember that very song. interesting. Such I like this starts off with calling all boys, but they're like yeah. guys. You can't you can't call it that. <laughs> we're not ready for that yet. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's ready for that yet. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we go, we're gonna do one more song. This is the part of the show where we share a new song with you, the one song nation. <laughs> um, that sounds very fascist, but <laughs> you did sing about the Wong Song Nation in, in one of our one recent episodes. Nation. I like that one yeah, song yeah, nation, one song the nation. Madonna episode. Yeah, I'm with it, um, we share it with you guys and with each other. Luxury, you go first. What's your one more song for okay. today? Well, th- today's one of those days where I all uh, my one more song is connected to the episode. This is for Queen fans. You may already know that Freddie Mercury has solo records, but not a lot of people do outside of the Queen core audience. And I don't think I've had a DJ gig in the last five years where I haven't played. This Freddie Mercury solo song. It's called Love Kills. Oh, it gives me chills. <laughs> Everything about Freddie Mercury gives me chills. When you have Freddie Mercury plus those 16th note pulsating mm-hmm. Giorgio Marodery synthesizers, that's me. That's everything about me and music. Fun fact. Yeah. David Bowie was recording with Giorgio Moroder when he met the guys and worked on Under Pressure. Oh, it's all coming together. Cat, all the heroes. People, Can you imagine all the heroes in one place? Incredible. Uh, That's for, right, because Mac was Moroder's engineer yes, from Munich. There you go. The big team. Uh, for my song, I'm good. 
I like to use uh, my one more song moments to bring up a song that I don't know how else I can get it out there. The Hey Guys is a cool song. Check it out, please. <laughs> um, this group is from South Africa. They go by the name of Siba Kopstad. Siba Kopstad. It actually stands for Siba Cape Town. Um, and if you are truly into this, uh, you can find them by looking up S E B A K A A P S T A. Siba Kopstad and the name of the song is Thena and here it is Woo! That's sweet So just a sample oh, of that damn. song it's a really cool song I hope you like it. I love those jazz chords and vocals, yeah, like man, those crazy fun. unexpected changes in the chords. I <laughs> love that. Listen to it just now, though. It sounded like Stevie the piano Wonder player stuff. was Vince Garibaldi from the <laughs> Peanuts special. Vince Garibaldi meets Stevie Wonder. Yeah, that, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I like that. In church. <laughs> uh, luxury, help me in this thing. All right, man. Well, I've been producer, DJ, and songwriter, Luxury. And I'm actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ, Diallo Riddle. And this has been and continues to be one song. Yep. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Matthew Nelson with engineering from Marcus Hom. Additional production support from Jordan Calling, Casey Simonson, and Alicia Shimada. The show is executive produced by Kevin Hart, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, Eric Weil, and Leslie Guam.